0: I'm an American.
1: Welcome to the Liberty Moms podcast. Chris Kimball hosting today. Liberty Moms are the real secretaries of defense when it comes to their community, their families, and their children. And I'm so pleased and honored that you would tune in today. There's so many other choices for you to be listening. And Liberty Moms are a proud member of the um, Loving Liberty Network, and we are excited that um, You would listen in and we welcome Liberty Moms and Liberty Dads, both play an important role in protecting our children and securing the rights that we have been blessed with in this great nation of the United States or America. And I just want to do, before I bring my guest on, I just want to do a quick quick, um, follow-up because the last time I recorded, I had talked about moms for america and how there was this um, coup that had kind of taken place where um, two men had ousted um, kimberly fletcher well rest assured that was alleviated and um, there was a huge outcry and um, um, many of the members uh, rose up in support of kimberly and those two gentlemen did end up resigning and Kimberly Fletcher is back as president and CEO and in charge and moms for America are on their way, still continuing to do a great work that she started, gosh, so many years ago. I mean, I think it was 18 years ago. And so, um, yes, feel confident that moms for America are in a good place. And if you want to um, connect with them, I would highly recommend it. Um, today we are going to kind of continue a topic that I, um, started a couple of weeks ago when I had Walt Heyer, who is a former transgender, who now works with helping um, people who have gone down that nightmare path of thinking they can change their gender, and um, being lied to, being manipulated, being um, uh, uh, pushed, I would say being pushed into it, because there's certainly a fast track. If you even have any sort of inclination that you may want to switch genders, you're latched onto immediately by um, school professionals, by um, medical professionals, and by the LGBTQ activists who are out there um, waiting and hoping that um, you will want to go down that path. And today I have another guest on, and her story is a little bit different because. She, um, well, you know what? I'm not gonna get into her story. I'm gonna introduce her. Her name is Erin Brewer. And I met Erin a few years back when Utah was dealing in the legislature with the conversion ban therapy um, uh, in trying to, um, uh, there, there was a bill to appeal it and, or to repeal it and to ban conversion therapy and we'll get into that discussion. And Erin was up there and testified and just blew my mind. When she went up and, and started testifying about her life story, I was like, oh, my gosh, where did this person come from? I had never met her before. And and uh, it, she, she just blew everybody out of the water because um, Equity Utah wasn't pleased. <laughs> with what she had to say. And those of us on the side of trying to protect children were like, oh my gosh, this woman is amazing. So Erin, thank you for joining me today. You've been really diligent ever since in getting the truth out about this craziness. But um, share with our listeners, I mean, you were were actually going down that path of wanting to become a boy, right?
0: Well, yes. And thank you so much for having me on. And Um, As a child, I had gender dysphoria, and based on the criteria that transgender activists use today, I was insistent, consistent, and persistent that I was a boy. And that's the only criteria that they use to determine whether a child should be put on puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and get surgery. And so thankfully, when I was a little girl, I went to Howard R. Drake's Elementary School, and... When I came in for I, you know, kindergarten, I was kind of a quirky little girl. First grade started, and I was mean. I was aggressive. I would say my name was Timothy. I wanted to play on the boys' sports teams. I wanted to go in the boys' bathrooms. And thankfully, I had a teacher who didn't say, oh, my, you're born in the wrong body. She said, this is the little girl who needs some help. And she referred me to the school psychologist who got me um, into – a program that they had at the school to help with kids who are having some emotional issues. And they worked with me to understand that I wasn't a boy. And I'm, I'm forever grateful to those teachers and to that school psychologist and realizing now that there are children who don't, who don't have that, who are told by their teachers and their school psychologists that indeed they are born in the wrong body. And that the only appropriate intervention is for them to be medically transitioned just, It breaks my heart. And so um, the reason I knew about the conversion therapy ban is kind of ironic. I used to support Equality Utah. I used to donate to them. And I got a letter in the mail that said that they were going to ban therapy. And at first I thought, I must be misunderstanding this. They must just be talking about electroshock and, you know, beatings and all the horrible things that you hear have happened in the past to change people. But when I looked at the at the actual legislation, it sounded like they were going to ban the very therapy that helped me when I was a child. So I tried to contact Troy Williams, who's the director of Equality Utah, and he blocked me on Facebook. So then I went and tried to talk to him at the Utah Public Library where they were having an event and he had security escort me out. And I thought they really are trying to ban the therapy that helped me when I was a little girl to realize that I wasn't born in the wrong body. And so I felt really called to go testify. And it's the first time I'd ever testified at a a hearing like that. But I felt like it was my obligation to help children who are in the same position I was when I was a little girl, only I had responsible, caring adults who helped me to understand that there wasn't something wrong with me. Now these kids are being told that they should essentially kill who they are and become somebody else. And that just is heartbreaking to me.
1: Erin, that is so revealing about the nature of that whole movement, because uh, I've got a story here that I just picked up off of a news uh, media site of a, a 15 year old girl. Well, she's 18 now, but she has her breasts removed at the age of 15 and because she was, she had her, well, I don't know if she had gender dysphoria as much as she got sucked into the social media. She started going um, on social media at the age of 11 and got into some chat rooms on, you know, female to male, all of that, and got caught up in that. And uh, her story, um, the fact that she detransitioned, they can't stand her. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Chloe Cole, I'm guessing. Yes. 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 And her
0: story is so compelling. And one of the things that I want to point out to listeners, because I think most people don't understand that when I was a little girl, I had what is, you know, what, what would be called gender dysphoria today, they had a different clinical diagnosis. But but I was um, unusual. Most girls, it's it's unusual for girls, first of all, to develop gender dysphoria as a, at a young age, and second of all, um, they they have changed the diagnosis a number of times. But I had what is you know sort of the typical gender dysphoria. Whereas kids these days are getting what's called rapid onset gender dysphoria, where you know something. Um, e- a lot of times they're being indoctrinated at school or in social media. And I've heard a lot of kids who are saying that they developed a transgender identity because as a white heterosexual male or female, they did not feel like they were valuable. And in fact, they were being told that they were the root of all the problems in the world. And so they uh, uh, developed a transgender identity in order to reject that sort of uh, that being called an oppressor. And, you know, the bad guy and, and really this is this all goes back to, you know, something called critical theory where the idea is that there's the oppressors and the victims and anybody who's an oppressor is a bad guy and the victims are the good guys. And so we have kids now who are who are you know getting on puberty blockers, which retard their growth and development, cross sex hormones, which end up sterilizing them after puberty blockers and then having their breasts cut off or their testicles and penises cut off all because they've been told that they're the oppressor and they're the bad guys, or they've been convinced that because they're having difficult feelings that are really normal and natural with puberty, that they should change who they are. And it's shocking to me um, because I can attest to someone who, who legitimately had very severe gender dysphoria that it's possible to overcome those difficult feelings. And now kids are being told if they have any discomfort at all, with who they are, that they should, they should um, become a different person. And to me, it's, it's really um, in some ways, I, I mean, it it feels like a nightmare every morning I wake up and I hear about another detransitioner like Chloe, who has permanently damaged her body. A lot of these girls are getting um, hysterectomies before they're 18. If they're on puberty blockers and cross sex hormones, they get sterilized. They are permanently damaged for life, all because they've had the the normal difficult feelings associated with puberty. And then we have Governor Spencer Cox, who decided to circumvent the legislative process in order to get the therapy ban implemented. And so these kids aren't able to get the kind of therapy that I got as a child to help me understand that I wasn't born in the wrong body. And I think I forgot to mention when I told my story initially that the trigger of my gender dysphoria was a sexual assault that occurred. And my story's story's pretty typical, that it's not uncommon for children who have experienced a sexual abuse or sexual assault to want to become the opposite sex because they think it will keep them safe. And I think about my dear friend, Billy Burley, who was sexually assaulted when he was a, a child and he didn't get the help I got. He didn't get the therapy. He didn't have the support of teachers to tell him he was okay the way he is. And he ended up having his penis and testicles cut off, having tremendous numbers of facial feminization surgeries, only to realize a couple of years later that it was all a mistake. And the reason that he hated his genitals so
1: much was because of the sexual assault. So, Aaron, you are a second witness to what Walt had talked about when he was on my show in the fact that um, this gender dysphoria is really more closely associated to childhood trauma, which can be sexual abuse. um, It can be emotional abuse. Uh, There's a lot of different things that could could fall under that, but it's it's a trauma that a child has gone through and they haven't been able to process it. And so in his situation, he was abused by his grandmother who dressed him up as a girl. He had an older uncle who would um, fondle him um, uh, as a child and then he had a, a priest that kind of made sexual homosexual advances on him and so he had these traumatic experiences and which led to his idealization and and uh instead he was he ended up being diagnosed with um, associative dis, disassociative disorder okay and with chloe she realized that she, felt that she was more on the autistic spectrum and was diagnosed with ADHD. And so she felt like instead of addressing um, their cycle, you know, the, the, um, the mental part of the process, they're just jumping in and saying, oh, the go-to answer is you need to just transition. And that is not the answer because there's a mental and emotional Component to this that's not being addressed. And so you went through a physical, a, a sexual assault. Who mm-hmm. were you when that happened? I was um five and a half.
0: So I was really little. And my brother was with me, and the men didn't hurt him the way they hurt me. Um, it was a very traumatic experience because um they were going they were threatening to hurt my brother if I didn't submit to what they wanted done. So it was. It was a it was a very traumatic experience and i am so thankful that therapists were able to help me um, process that because if i were a child today and that happened instead of helping me process that the therapist would say you're right all that hatred you have for yourself and that shame and that fear means that you're actually a boy and it it would have resulted in me being re-traumatized by going through all these gender treatments. Oh. And I just, it horrifies me. Um, I have another friend who who transitioned and went through all the medical treatments. And he said, the reason he did it is that he had a really abusive stepfather. And he grew up thinking that's what a man was. And he didn't want to be a man. And again, this is, this is a boy, if he had gotten appropriate therapy, he would have realize that you know that's not how all men are and he didn't have to change and be something that he's not in order to be comfortable with himself and that's where um i feel like it's so important that we get this conversion therapy ban overridden um, because it it bans the therapy that helps these kids to understand that they're not born in the wrong body and that they can live with themselves and to provide them with skills to 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 work through those difficult feelings associated with trauma and you know, associated with all that kind of difficulty that kids have during puberty. I've even heard transgender activists tell girls if they're uncomfortable having a period, it means they're born in the wrong body. That's how absurd this ideology has gotten. They are actively recruiting kids with autism who aren't fitting in very well and telling them the reason that they don't fit in is because they're born in the wrong body. And then they're pushing these um, treatments on them. And there's no option. Therapists don't have an option to help them explore the underlying causes
1: because of these therapy bans. So I want to bring that up again. So thank you, Erin. So this uh, this therapy ban that ended up happening. So during the session, you came up to testify. And we were able to, um, well, not we, not you and I, but um, the the uh, the committee brought forward a, um, an amendment to the bill that actually left um, parents, well, there's a lot of things wrong with that idea is because it takes away parental rights. we mm-hmm. were able to amend the bill that still allowed parents the right to decide what is best for their children because parents are the best expert on um, what is best for their children. And even in Chloe's particular situation that we were talking about, her parents were really skeptical and she doesn't blame her parents. She totally blames everyone else that they were going to for help. You know, they're trying to get different resources and everyone is just pushing, pushing, pushing through this other way. But during the session, we were able to change the bill so that it still kept parental rights intact. And the idea that um, therapists could still practice and do what was best for their patients, okay? And not have their hands tight. And so um, they they ended up pulling the bill because they didn't like it. And so um, when I say they, that would be the LGBTQ activists who sponsored the bill. And that's Equity Utah here in the Utah state area. And instead they bypassed the legislative branch, which is where it was supposed to go. And they circumvented. And at the time it was um, Governor Herbert who was still governor at that time. And they had a closed door meeting and hammered it out, and decided um, that he would come up with this policy that he would um, force the um, therapists that they could not talk about conversion therapy. Now, this is an overreach of the executive branch because it's the legislative branch which makes the law, and the executive branch is just to execute the law, and. Governor Herbert overstepped his bounds, and that's why Representative Brammer and others wanted to talk about what happened a couple of years ago because it was an injustice to how the um, legislative process works. And so they wanted to bring it up and they were discussing it at the interim session. And um, they were, I think this is a time for us who have become more educated Aaron, you have done such a phenomenal job ever since you showed up in that committee hearing on, on speaking out. And you certainly have had your um boatload of pushback. But um you have done such a great job, but we have to let our um our representatives know that they've been lied to about what is going on with this whole gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. There is um, most likely comorbidities that an individual is dealing with if they haven't dealt directly with um, some sort of childhood trauma. Okay. Yeah.
0: And I think it's so important that we um, that we contact our legislators and let them know that we don't support this transgender ideology. I just read in the paper that um, there was a school counselor in Farmington who put up um, pronouns on on her door at the counselor's office, and that um recently I read about a professor, I think it was Southern Utah University, but I'm not sure who is current who who got in trouble because he refused to use they them pronouns with one of his students, who was a female. Um, this ideology is taking over. and it's harming kids in a way that I think people do not understand. I think this is going to be, a far worse medical crisis than the opioids. And I think it's very close to what happened during Nazi Germany with the SS experimenting on people. Um, these are children who have, um, you know, there's, there's app, you know, it's a mystical belief that somebody can be born in the wrong body. And when somebody has those kinds of difficult feelings, the appropriate response is to help them re resolve those feelings. Uh, We don't give an anorexic liposuction and gastric bypass in the same way if a child is struggling with their body, we don't change their body. We help them to accept who they are.
1: Exactly. So you brought up a great point because I actually did see that today about this um, professor down at Southern SUU here in Utah. Mm -hmm. And he's actually filing a lawsuit He filed a lawsuit against the school because he was being um, reprimanded because he would not use they, them pronouns. Now, he has told his students that he's happy to use any name they want and any pronoun as long as it's singular because it's a person that he's dealing with and that it's, it's against his right of speech to make, to, for, to force him to use incorrect grammar. He's being forced to use something that is, it's make-believe because they're not a they and they're not a them. It's an individual person. And um, they have a lot of power because the universities have all bought into this PC and uh, they will jump over backwards to make sure that if these students have any sort of a complaint, they're there to defend them. And they're not really um, staying in the world of reality because they can't, a person cannot be a they. It goes against every social norm that we've had for thousands and thousands of years. And so, you know, my hat is off to this man. And I think as Utahns, again, another call to action is you need to contact this university in Cedar City. And tell them that they need to, um, because they, they think they're in the right. I mean, when I was reading the article, and they said they look forward to their their day in court, which is great. But um, we still have free speech, and we still have the ability. Um, Jordan Peterson is another one who was fired from his university job, and uh, he has done quite well in the aftermath of it. But... Um, Erin, we've got more to discuss on this topic. We've got a short break that we're going to take here on the Liberty Moms podcast, and we'll be right back and talk more about the lies behind gender dysphoria. Welcome back to the Liberty Mom podcast. Chris Kimball is hosting today. I've been talking with Erin Brewer, and we've been discussing uh, gender dysphoria and her, um, her journey of um, sexual assault as a young child and how she developed gender dysphoria from that and uh, her ability to overcome that through counseling, okay, and being able to talk through what had happened to her so she could understand it and finally process it because she was a young child when that happened, five and a half years old. Okay. I do want to ask a quick question about that. So that particular situation, if I'm remembering correctly, happened at a park in a bathroom. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was, um,
0: it was near Howard Ardraig school. And um, it was, it's amazing to me thinking back about it, how, Um, creative children can be when they're in a traumatic situation. It was um, incredibly scary and incredibly difficult. And you mentioned Walt Heyer had a diagnosis of dissociative disorder. And by the time I got to be a young adult, that was a diagnosis that I also got was a dissociative disorder. And for those who don't know about dissociative disorders, when a child and even sometimes adults, mechanism and it's incredibly valuable when people are faced with horrible situations but what it also does is it allows that child to be very vulnerable to the transgender ideology because it creates a separation between mind and body and it really feels like you're you know you're sort of yourself and you're stuck in this body and in my case I felt like it was my body's fault that I was hurt so bad and so I had incredible anger Um, and frustration towards my body. And I felt like there was something flawed about my body. And I have no doubt if I had been offered the opportunity to medically transition, I would have done it in a heartbeat because I had so much um, disdain for this, you know, being stuck in this girl body. And, and yet those medical interventions would have re-traumatized me, reinforced all of those misperceptions I had about myself. So it's incredibly confusing to me how we have activists like Troy Williams and legislators who believe that it's appropriate to ban children from getting the help that they need and instead putting them on a pathway towards you know medicalization. We don't even know all the dangers of the medical interventions that we're doing, but we do know that puberty blockers induce retardation that's, that's what they do. I've heard interviews of, of boys who have been on puberty blockers and their genitals atrophy to the size of toddlers and stay that way. They don't come back after they get off. And transgender activists will say they're fully reversible. And that's not true in the very same way that it's not true that a child can be born in the wrong body. These people are lying and we have to call it out And instead of saying, well, we're trying to be kind and compassionate, we need to say what they're doing is anything but kind and compassionate. Telling parents that their children will kill themselves if they're not allowed to transition is emotional blackmail. And that's what they're doing to parents like Chloe's parents. Um, We need to recognize that what is kind and compassionate is to help a child to learn to live with themselves like they did when I was a child to help them to understand those very difficult feelings that they have and to learn how to um, process that and move forward and accept who they are. That's what's kind and compassionate. Inducing developmental delays and causing lifelong medical challenges, cutting off healthy body parts, is, is that's not kind, that's not compassionate, that's horrific, that's abuse.
1: It, it definitely is. It is. It and like you say, it's just so heartbreaking that so many of these young people are not getting. They're not being told. People are lying. They are upright lying. I've heard people in committee hearings, doctors who are performing this up at um, through the University of is it through mm-hmm. Utah? University of Utah? Yes, and they outright lie saying it's totally reversible. That the blocker, it's all reversible. No big deal. No problem. You know, and And one of the things that made me so
0: angry when um, one of the doctors at the gender clinic was testifying, she said that um, when asked about detransitioners, because a lot of these kids detransition and especially the girls, they have, you know, they have facial hair that causes them a lot of distress. Their voices are permanently altered and she made light of it. And she said, as a Greek woman, she also had a lot of facial hair and it wasn't a big deal and so she is making light of these children who have been medically transitioned and 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 forced to look like the opposite sex but then when they detransition she says it's no big deal well if that kind of it's the same dysphoria it's the same discomfort if the discomfort of being uncomfortable with having facial hair for a girl who's transitioned is no big deal then the same difficult feelings that a child has when they're uncomfortable with their body should also be no big deal. So why are they medicalizing it? Well, it turns out that it is a big deal when you cause a girl's body to have facial hair, to, to go bald and to have um, her breast cut off. Um, That's, that's a big deal. And that's something that doctors have been doing to these children. And so for the, for a doctor to just laugh about it and say, well, I'm Greek. I have a lot of facial hair, too. I just got laser laser hair removal or something. Um that shows how cavalier they are about this. They just I mean, I really um it's I was shocked when she said that. It really gave some insights into the fact that that their their compassion for children is is based on how much money they're making, in my opinion, and has nothing to do with um, helping children.
1: And you know, what's interesting is like even with Equity, Utah, they are so, like you say, there's there's no compassion. They are there to promote this with children. And it's like no one is in there saying, as an adult, if you've been given, you know, complete, you know, um, full disclosure about what could be the consequences and what, what's pro, what's con, whatever. But as an adult, you can make that decision. All we're saying, all we're trying to do here in Utah is protect the children. And wouldn't everyone want to protect the children you would think so wouldn't you i mean I mean, it's, it's Governor Cox, yeah. yeah like would he be good if like his daughters ended up having their breasts cut off and then not being able to nurse i mean because look chloe can never right. feed her baby well
0: a lot of these girls are having hysterectomies because when they have um when they start taking testosterone their, um, their internal organ, their, their uterus starts to atrophy and they have to have it removed because it com- becomes very painful. And one of the things that I keep thinking, I hear this over and over and over again, is that these kids are unhappy and they need these interventions to make them happy. And I keep thinking, well, what if you have a child and and most children during puberty at some point are unhappy? Do we give them opioids? Do we give them heroin? Do we give them alcohol? Do we give them other drugs to make them happy, because they're 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 having a difficult time in their life? No, we don't do that. Um, we we know that we don't give kids that 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 giving kids something like heroin or alcohol to help them through difficult times is is dangerous and these interventions are the same thing only worse because if a child takes opioids or alcohol to get through a difficult time then they might have an addiction issue but otherwise their bodies aren't going to be damaged for the rest of their lives whereas in this case this this happy pill that we're giving them this this treatment for you know the normal discomfort that kids have during puberty is going to impact them for the rest of their lives and in many cases, it's lowering, lowering their lifespan and permanently medicalizing them. It's, it's, I mean, it really is to me just one of the biggest nightmares of our time. And again, I can't imagine how our legislators feel like they should be pushing this. And unfortunately, we're going to see more of it because the Biden administration is mandating that teachers affirm a child. So, so. You know, back to my situation, if I were a child today and my teacher noticed that I was under some deep distress and referred me to the school psychologist, that school psychologist could no longer help me. That teacher could no longer help me. They would be told that they have to affirm the fact that I was a boy. And instead of growing up and accepting myself as a woman and having my three beautiful children I would I would have lost that ability and been told that I was, in fact, a boy and that I should go through these medical treatments. The fact that the Biden administration is pushing this into our schools should alarm everybody, and they're hiding it from parents. A lot of times they will do this at school. They'll encourage a child to adopt a transgender identity and hide it from the parents, which is incredibly concerning. And we're increasingly seeing situations where Child Protective Services are going into families where they're not affirming the transgender identity and taking that child away. There was a woman who lost her daughter to suicide after um, Child Protective Services took her daughter from the home and put her in foster care because her mom didn't want her to get these medical interventions. And the state of California decided that the best thing for this child was to get the medical interventions, put her in foster care, and then she jumped in front of a train and killed herself oh after gosh. starting these medical interventions. These are these are
1: this is happening in America. Yeah, this is it's it's so gut wrenching, and and they hide behind these lies of again. It's this uh, you know you either have a dead daughter or a living son. You know to, that's what they're doing to these parents, and in reality the suicide rate increases as
0: high as 19% once they go through these full medical transitions. Well, and
1: and in some studies it's been even higher, you know, and, and so they're not tracking. And here's the deal with um, what I was learning with Walt is that a lot of these doctors who do the transition surgery, they lose track of the patients, and there's no long-term follow-up. There's 90% of people that go through transition surgery drop off the radar, okay, because either they're unhappy and they, they're, not, they're in a state of depression and they're suicidal because they're not happy, or they've decided they want to detransition and they don't want to be that person. And so 90% of people who transition, there's not been any long-term data Oh, yeah. know what the outcome has been. And uh, John Hopkins was the first uh, university back in late 60s that did transition surgery. They were the, one, the first ones after they, did a, um, they went in and did a study with 50 of their clients and realized that nobody was be- no one had benefited from transitional surgery. So they stopped it like in the late 70s. Yeah,
0: and that's one of the things that people need to understand is that a lot of these kids initially will feel better. And so you have, you know, Equality Utah will parade these kids in front of the legislators, and these kids will say, oh, I feel so much better. Well, one of the things that they fail to tell the legislators is that any girl who's put on testosterone will feel like a million bucks initially. Chris, you and I would both feel really good if we started taking testosterone. It's a controlled substance. It's a steroid. And initially, it makes kids feel great. And so it's not surprising these girls will go up there and say, I feel so much better. But what they're not looking at is the long-term consequences. And for the same reason we don't allow kids to take alcohol or heroin or opioids is because the long-term impact is horrific. It's just Unbelievably bad for these kids. It's going to lower their lifespan. The other thing that happens is these kids are on these medical interventions, and initially they get that boost because these are controlled substances. It makes them feel really good. They're getting lots of attention, lots of affirmation, lots of encouragement. But then, after they've gone through all the different procedures, and at the end they realize they still are struggling with the difficult feelings, that's when they become suicidal that's when it's really dangerous. And that's when kids like this poor woman's child kill themselves because they have tried all these interventions been told it would cure their difficult feelings. And it doesn't, it makes it worse.
1: Well, she, Chloe in her story, she talks about her top surgery and how the grafting of the skin is awful. And, and, uh, the, how it's never, I mean, you know, they have to replace the nipples that there's different nipple placement and all of this stuff. And she was just saying how the surgery itself and the skin and the texture of her skin is, is ruined, you know, and no one tells them about that. No one says, gosh, this might be a real challenge going forward, you know, because we just mutilated your body, but we're going to try to make it look as good as possible.
0: Well, and one of the things that, um, Marcy Bauer, who is one of the surgeons who operated on Jazz Jennings, recently admitted that 100% of the boys who are put on puberty blockers lose sexual function. They're unable to ever have a normal sexual relationship or experience. They lose that sensation because their genitals are reverted back to those of toddlers. I don't understand how anybody could do that to to a child to induce a permanent sexual dysfunction, often on children who have never had any sexual experiences. I've talked to a number of adult males who will never experience an orgasm because they've had these interventions. Um, we're taking away something um, incredibly, you know, important to adult functioning, and and they're so they're, they they seem. To say things like, well, it's sort of like a blind person. If you've never been able to see, you don't know what you're missing. And to me, that's that's minimizing what they're doing. The difference is, is that we're not intentionally inducing blindness in people. Right. In this case, we're intentionally
1: inducing sexual dysfunction for life. Right. And the thing, there's, there's confusion in the relationship of what these individuals are supposed to go through because so – if you're a boy and you become a girl, does that mean you are to date guys or are you still? Because what I'm reading in a couple of different stories is that, you know, some men who were homosexual, especially decades ago, felt that if they became a woman, it was would be able to hide their sexuality, uh, their uh, same-sex attraction. And so you could kind of see like, okay, so they want to be attracted to men. So they feel better if they're a woman. And then that way that makes sense. But um, there's just um, like even a Walt situation, um, you know, he's transitioned into being a woman. But like, who is he interested in having a relationship with? Well, and it's interesting that you bring that
0: up because one of the, the side effects of testosterone that they don't talk about is an increased libido. So we have teenage girls who haven't really negotiated having a libido, suddenly having this crazy strong sex drive and they're going out and they're getting in all kinds of dangerous and risky situations because they have this uncontrollable sex drive due to the testosterone. And, you know, I've talked to women who are just, you know, have incredible regret about the sexual relationships they've had. Um, as a result of this, you know, uncontrollable sex drive that they got from testosterone. These are girls who are not prepared for that. And so when you ask um, who they're having, who they're attracted to, many of the girls that I've talked to who get put on testosterone are attracted to pretty much anybody who will have sex with them because their sex drive is off the charts. And that's, that's again, that's putting them at risk. That's incredibly dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, These are kids who are having who are getting into very risky sexual situations as a result of this intervention? And this is not something the doctors tell the kids, and it's not something the doctors tell the parents.
1: Well, that is something. See, I had never hadn't thought about the the uh, the side effect of having all that testosterone, because of course um, that is the byproduct of what young men are going through when they're going through puberty. So. Um, I hope our listeners are realizing that there's a lot of information that you're learning today that is really dispelling all of the lies that have been perpetuate, perpetuated through the media, through your schools, through your doctors' offices, through the um, counseling profession. So you have to realize you have to you're the one that has to get this information. That um, and, and so I want to lead into your book. You have written a book. Erin, so tell our listeners about that. Well, it's called Parenting in a Transgender
0: World, and I wrote it because I have so many parents reaching out to me who are scared. They don't know what to do. They're seeing this ideology take over their schools, take over the government, take over the media, take over the culture, and they don't know what to do. And so I wanted to write something, first of all, to introduce parents to what's going on, because so few parents really understand the enormity of what the transgender ideology is. So it gives a good overview of all the different ways in which this ideology has infiltrated our society. And then it gives some practical guide on on things parents can do to help protect their children from this ideology. Um, It's it's so dangerous to assume that this isn't going to impact your child. And, And most of the parents that I've talked to who have had a child who have been indoctrinated into this ideology, who have taken on a transgender identity, they really were taken by surprise. And I think we have to be proactive as parents now and prepare our children for this ideology. And unfortunately, we have to let them know that there's a potential that teachers are going to lie to them and say that boys can be girls and girls can be boys, and the potential that they're going to be forced to use somebody else's um, the wrong pronouns and prepare them for having their values challenged and being told that they're hateful and bigoted when they believe in biological truth. And parents really have to get their kids prepared. I mean, it's almost, I I feel like it's a war zone out there and you have to prepare your child to be under attack. And so this is a guide that hopefully will give some parents some techniques to help make their children more resilient and less vulnerable to this very harmful ideology.
1: So, Erin, you are an answer to um, a prayer because I have been wanting to figure out, because I felt the same way. We are now where parents have to be preemptive. You have got to be sitting down with your children and just saying, this this is what's going on in the world out there. And you are going to be challenged, just like you said. And so how can people get your book? Well, it's on Amazon. Um, and so you can just go to
0: Amazon and look up. Parenting in a transgender world. It's also on our web, on my organization's website, Advocates Protecting Children, and um, yeah, I, I hope that it provides some some um, help to parents who are just being overrun by transgender activism.
1: And they are, and it's happening at so many different levels. I mean, I've had horror stories that have been reported to me from people who have uh, participated in church functions where they have allowed a transgender youth to mix and, you know, like a, a trans girl show up at girls camp. And it was awful. I mean, the girls started coming on to all the girls in the camp. I mean, he, she just went in, he went in there as like a, this is a way for me to get with all these girls. Right. It's kind of, that's the other thing. A lot of people don't recognize
0: that there are predatory boys and men who are using this to their advantage because now they know that all they have to do is say that they're a girl or say that they're a woman. And suddenly the doors are open to women's locker rooms, rape crisis centers, homeless shelters, women's sports. Um, So predatory men are loving this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, one other thing I wanted to ask you a question real quickly before we finish. So when you had your sexual assault, was the perpetrator already in the bathroom or did were you followed in?
0: No, neither. actually. my brother and I were playing um, and uh, it was two men, and they they grabbed us and took us in there.
1: Oh, I see. okay, yeah, because I think we have to be more diligent nowadays with um, all of this transgender is that your kids cannot go to bathrooms by themselves because you don't know who is in there anymore. Yeah, and parents need to
0: be so protective of their, especially girls. Um, and the hard part is, is that if there's a man in the bathroom, a lot of times women know, don't know what to do at this point. And, right. and, and they might be called bigoted and hateful if they if they raise concern
1: about a man
0: being in their bathroom or locker room.
1: Right, it's a crazy world. So, Erin, thank you so much. I. So love talking with you. It's been a while since we've had a chance. And I love all the work you're doing. Thank you for that book. That's going to be a great tool for um, parents as they try to negotiate this new world of um, forced um, uh, gender dysphoria. And so um, uh, good luck with the rest of your work. And uh, we look forward to being up at the Capitol. I'm sure we're going to be seeing up at the Capitol during this next session. So, thank you for listening and tuning into the Liberty Mom Show, and we will talk to you in a week.